May the words of David be that of ours. May the meditations of our hearts, the words of our mouth be ever acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. If you listen to the readings this for today, it's rules, rules, rules. It seems like all of my adult life, I have found myself as the rule enforcement officer. I was an RA in college. I worked in HR immediately afterwards. I was a teacher and school administrator for 20 years, and now I'm on the verge of being a priest. And this leaves out being the father to six, well, mostly obedient children. How many times over the years, this week, even today, have I heard, why do we have to? Wear this uniform, take this class, clean this, do this, not do that. The countless times I've said, I don't make the rules. I just enforce them. Or because I said so. Right? I roll. (laughs) This statics is ironic because I really don't like rules. I spent so many years of my life resisting them, fighting them, ignoring them. It's ironic that I would be a person in charge of guiding, policing, and enforcing when one of the surest ways to get me to do anything is to tell me I'm not allowed or that I can't or that I shouldn't. This fact alone shows God's sense of humor, or maybe it's just his gracious commitment to my continued salvation. Okay, so maybe I'm being a little facetious. It's not that I don't like all rules. In fact, there are rules that I love. I find myself enjoying thinking through, making, establishing rules. So how can this be? How can I hate rules and love rules? Why is there this tension in me between these two views? And I think this tension lies at the heart of our readings for this Sunday. What are all of our passages about? Rules. Let's look at our Old Testament passage, the Decalogue. If it wasn't enough that we said it once, we said it twice. The Ten Commandments, the heart of Moses' law. And that's just a stand-in, the Ten Commandments. They're just a proxy for the whole law. All 613 of them. 365 negative commands. One for every single day of the year. 248 positive commands. According to the thinking of the time, the same number of bones in the human body, if you're into that numerology stuff. Everything from 
If you're not going to redeem your donkey's firstborn, well, you need to break its neck. To, oh, by the way, if you find a limb torn off of an animal, even a clean animal, don't eat it. I mean, as if I wanted to or really needed to know either of these things. Is this the law that David is speaking of in our psalm? Okay, I get complete, but perfect? Really? Reviving the soul? That seems a bit rich for 613 rules. How can anything this big and cumbersome make the simple wise? If enlightenment is what we're calling needing to know everything about breaking donkeys' necks and eating torn off limbs, I guess so. The law actually seems like something that would cause me to roll my eyes. That I would be constantly bucking against. That it would be a continuous source of irritation. One that I would constantly be wanting to break. Why? In reflecting on that tension that I mentioned earlier that I have towards rules, I came to realize something. I have no time or respect for rules that are trivial, unnecessary, counterproductive, poorly thought through, unexplained, or just plain stupid. If they don't have a point, or if they have a point that they don't accomplish, or if the point is one that I view to be in my heart and in the center of my being wrong, or foolish, what good is it that I should follow it? These are the rules I can't stand. And at face value, it seems like a lot of these 613 laws fall into this category. And yet, there are David's words. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, And the drippings of the honeycomb. David doesn't feel this way. And he tells us why. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. And keeping them is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Or declare me innocent of hidden faults? Or keep me back from presumptuous sin? And let it not have dominion over me. Only then will I be blameless and innocent of transgression. Only then can the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in the Lord's sight. The laws of the Lord have a purpose. The law is not a set of do this, don't do that regulations. Or maybe I should say it's not just or primarily this. But it is the best and indeed a perfect reflection of God's character and his desire for us. They teach us who God is. They warn, they reward, but even more than that, they reveal God's character. If I want to see God, where do I look? I look at the law. If this 
then is the purpose of the law, then I can well understand David's words in Psalm 19. But it's not just there to show me God. As beautiful and as wonderful as that is, what the law does in showing me God is then also show me myself. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans. In revealing the perfect character of God, it exposes how in our lives and where in our hearts we live out of line, out of sync with God's character. Where either through ignorance or rebellion, my heart and God's heart, my will and his will are not the same. And while this exposure is uncomfortable, indeed painful, it's necessary because without it, without the exposing pure light of the law, how can I know? How can I know my errors? How can I be free even from innocent faults? It's only through the law and the knowledge that it brings first of God and then of myself that I have any hope of being blameless And free from the dominion of sin. Only with the law can I be sure that the words that I speak. That the thoughts that I think. That the things that I desire are acceptable to God. I get it. In that case it's not just rules. Though those may be important. What the law is is what it tells us about God. And if rules have a purpose, a point, if it's useful, if it teaches me something, those are the rules that I love. One of the reasons that I've spent so much time in my life passionately teaching and parenting and shepherding people, yes, with rules, is that I believed in them. And that I wanted others to see them for what they were. Not restrictions, guides. Not what they're not. Because good laws, true laws, pure laws are that. They guide us into a deeper, fuller, more complete understanding of reality. And areas and places where it might be difficult Or where I don't yet have the experience or the maturity to realize it. These laws are things I can love because they are reflections of God's character. My students know that I will bring any class to a screeching halt if they ask, why do we? Whatever. Because I see and believe That these questions, sometimes for bad motives, not to do Latin, that these questions are in God's grace given to me so that I can proclaim the goodness of the Lord in the land of my classroom. Where I can show how this rule tells us something about the nature of reality, our place in it. God's rule over it. The law, perfect, true, radiant, pure, more desired than gold and honey. 
when I find myself bucking up against these kinds of rules, it should give me pause, cause me to reflect, because if the fault isn't in the law, it must be in me. So the law can be good and wonderful. But there is another thing that laws can do, and even good laws. Good laws which are meant to reveal the character of God and the glory and beauty of the divine nature. Even perfect laws can, by and through our sinfulness and rebellion, be twisted, distorted, deformed into something vile and ugly. Into some evil having nothing to do with who God is. Even when we have God's good and perfect law, when we think we love it, we need to be careful and remember, as Paul says, that sin lies close at hand. I need to check my heart. So that even the goodness of the law can become a temptation for sin. Because see, we can use God's good laws for things they were never intended for. We can use them to control others. This is where our gospel passage comes in. Those poor Israelites, how often had God not warned them that they were guilty of using and abusing God's law? The prophet Samuel does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in the, as obedience to his voice? Behold, obedience is better than sacrifice. And attentiveness is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. And arrogance is like the wickedness of idolatry. The prophet Hosea, I desire mercy not sacrifice. The prophet Micah, with what do I come before Yahweh? Do I bow down to the God most high? Do I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves, sons of a year? Is Yahweh pleased with thousands of rams, with myriad streams of oil? Do I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has declared to you, O man, what is good. Indeed, what is Yahweh requiring of you except to do well and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Solomon, in his wisdom, proclaims it. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. The prophet Isaiah, I wish I could read this whole chapter, but relax. It's only, only the highlights. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of ram and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bring offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. 
new moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doing before your eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Jesus constantly dealt with this. He even quotes some of these passages. The rulers of the people, be they the Pharisees with their multiplication of the law, as if 613 wasn't enough. Or the scribes and Sadducees and priests of the temple establishment. They're all after the same thing. Power and control. And like their ancestors whose example they failed to profit from, they were guilty of wielding the perfect law of God as a weapon of oppression and control. There are few clearer pictures of this than that day as Jesus walked into the court of the Gentiles in the temple. There in that place that was supposed to be housing the presence of God, like the law. And they were using the commandments of the law and the sacrificial system it instituted as a means of controlling and profiting. In the court of the Gentiles, where the world was supposed to come to God, where the purpose of God's revelation, the choosing of Israel as a nation that was supposed to be foreshadowed, that they were supposed to be a blessing to the nations, that from them the knowledge and rule of God was supposed to flow and cover the world. And yet they can't even fail to repress and oppress their own people with God's law. They are using, twisting, manipulating the presence and command of God to serve their own purposes. Yikes. It's no wonder Jesus went all well. Jesus on them. Now, before, as so can often happen, we get to, well, pharisaical, And say something like, thanks be to God that I'm not like that. How often in my daily life do I see this? How often have I been guilty of doing it? I use a rule for power and control, not to guide or shepherd. See, I use it to make myself God rather than to lead those in my charge to see and adore his perfect character. Oh, we are all guilty. The law shows us, exposes us, both in itself and in the ways in which we abuse and misuse it. If this is the case, if we can't keep the law, 
And even in trying to keep it, we abuse it and misuse it. What hope is there for us? And then Paul and Jesus tell us it lies in the death and resurrection of Christ. As perfect as the law is in reflecting God's nature and character, it's not enough. Never intended it to be that. It's merely there to show us if we have eyes to see how badly we really are off. And it's only in that moment of realization that we can, as David understood, no one better say, you have no delight in sacrifices. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken heart, a broken and contrite spirit. Oh God, you will not despise. See, it is only when we realize our plight, when our hearts break with the knowledge that we can never keep God's law. And even in trying, we still misuse and abuse it. That we can, with humility, give up our control, our quest for power, our desire to be God instead of God, to turn our back on Adam's sin, that we can say with Paul, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He who was God and did not take equality with God a thing to be held onto, who humbled himself, perfect God becoming man, so that we who see him might truly see God, his character, who he is. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Because like the law is God's perfect character reflection, that's what Jesus is. We truly see the Father most clearly in him. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And in that perfect revelation of his obedience, death, and resurrection, there we find delight. Delight that God was willing to become us so that we might become like him. That we might with him, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwell together in all eternity in perfect unity of heart and will forever and ever. And now to him who died for us and to him who raised Christ from the dead and to the Holy Spirit who enables us to turn with faith to him and live lives which reflect his grace and goodness and character to the world, to the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all honor and glory now and forever. Amen.